Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to BR Football Ranks. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Oh, yes, it's an international break. And you know how special these are to me. And I don't want to hear any more whining about how they're boring. So instead of a poem this week, I'm going to lay out for you some of the narratives that you need to be keeping your eye on to keep yourselves well entertained. Let's start with the obvious. Today, Germany play Argentina in a repeat of the 2014 World Cup final. Argentina look like they're finally starting to find some cohesion in their attacking ring. So it's basically worth watching just to see how they fit Messi, Aguero, Dybala, Lautaro Martinez and the rest into this side. Germany's still a massive work in progress. Lots to be excited. I know Sam is a huge fan of Leipzig's, Leipzig's fullback combination, the Rumblers, Woo! Lucas Klosterman and Marcel Halstenberg. But moving on from that, Brazil play friendlies against two powerhouses of Africa, Senegal and Nigeria. The young, fiery Super Eagles squad playing against the Selecao in particular interest and should be a festival of attacking intent. In European qualifying, anything in Group E should be on your agenda. The top three... Croatia, Slovakia and Hungary are all separated by a single point with Wales three points behind that and with a game in hand. Wales play Slovakia and Croatia play Hungary on the same night before Wales and Croatia meet each other three days later. So it's very much all on the line in Group E. Kosovo play Montenegro in an all-Balkan affair that should provide a fair bit of spice. We talk about how good Kosovo were against England going forward, if less so, at the back. And they're both chasing England and the Czech Republic who play each other, which makes life more exciting. And finally, Portugal play Ukraine late on in a top-of-the-table clash in Group B. They're both unbeaten, but a win for Ukraine will see them top the group ahead of the reigning European and Nations League champions. A couple more random ones to finish. South Korea play North Korea in Asian qualifying, Ooh. which I imagine will be chock-a-bock full of drama. So keep an eye on that. Uh, I'm personally very excited for Tajikistan to play Japan, which is a top of the table clash in one of the groups there. As a final aside, the last game of the window is Algeria versus Colombia, which is basically two of the world's most fun attacking sides playing each other in a friendly. And so that should be just fun, fun, fun and goals. Uh, and there you have it. My, some of my tips for the break, strap in, remove your prejudices. Let's enjoy some international football. Don't worry, everyone. We will make sure that he watches that Tajikistan match. and We'll get a full match report. Yeah, we'll, you know? I'll write it. I'll yeah. write the report. We'll, we'll watch it on the FIFA stream or something. <laughs> well, my name is Jack Collins and I'll be your multinational host today. Over the international break, like Shelob surveying her web. And with me are two gargantuan monsters of the beautiful game. Dominating the football landscape like Godzilla and King Kong. I'll let you decide which is which. It's Dean Jones and Sam Tai. Hello. Hello, mate. Hello, how are we? Yeah, I'm good. Bit of man flu. Yeah, yeah. we were worried about you. We weren't sure you were going through. You were doubtful. Dean is really soldiering through. Newfound yeah. respect for the man. Yeah, Late fitness absolutely. test and I've just about passed. You looking forward to any games this international break? No, no, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't hate the international break as much as you think I do. Um, Austria, Denmark. Switzerland, Denmark. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> right, forget him. I'm talking Switzerland, now. Denmark. If either of them drop points and Ireland get four points in this international break, then Ireland qualify That's for Euro 2020. All new and I'm going to be there. Yeah. I'm going to be there. Next week, I'm not going to be on the pod. Dean Jones is going to be hosting the oh, yeah. football ranks in a real turn of events because I'm in Switzerland watching the Republic play in Geneva against Switzerland. <laughs> So that should be exciting. Ireland could qualify that day. That'd be laugh. I'd be really happy for you if it happens. I would be delighted. Yeah. Tell you what, yeah, you'd be as happy as me. I prefer to watch the other island, Northern Ireland, right. as they take on the Netherlands in in this international break. This is 
that Group C in the UEFA for uh, the Euro 2020 qualifying is so finely poised. Northern Ireland have the ability to play spoiler for Netherlands or Germany, and both Germany and Netherlands are just in a must. It's a must-win situation. Yeah, they just can't drop any more they points. Ca- you cannot drop points at all. It's just not possible. So those will be some seriously tense games. And you know what we've seen over the years from Northern Ireland is they absolutely love playing spoiler. You know, they don't fancy themselves as much of a footballing side, but they do fancy themselves as a huge party pooper. And they'll, be, they'll, they'll have one or two teams in their crosshairs here. So that's good. Also, the Senegal versus Brazil game is just full of intrigue for me. So um, much fun. I'm, I'm, I'm all there for that collection of players on both sides. Excellent. Well, just a little bit of homework before we get into hot takes. Um, the FSF awards are up and the nominations are open. And we'd really like to go for best podcast. So the link is currently on mine and Sam's Twitters. Please go and vote for us as best podcast because it'd be well fun and we like going to award ceremonies. And if you do like the podcast, yeah, please do vote for us. Do, it would actually it mean quite like a lot. It takes like a minute. It's like a survey form. It, we'd really appreciate it. Of course. Dean, do you want to start us off with hot takes? I would. Now, whisper this quietly, but Saribo is back. <laughs> <laughs> I think it Uh-oh. might be better than ever once he gets really going with this. So after his horrible spell at Chelsea... Uh, where he was turned into a bit of a laughing stock, had his own goalkeeper undermining him at Wembley. Richard Sarri is back to being a tactical master, a genius. He's at Juventus. He just masterminded a 2-1 win over Inter Milan, and it really was all about him. He was brave in his team selection. He picked Dybala to start the game. No one was, was expecting it. Dybala scored the opening goal, played well. He also managed his substitutions perfectly in the game. Um, Higuain comes on, scores the winner. Not only does he score the winner, he scores the winner after a, a spell of 24 passes. It was unbelievable. Really it good. was like Sarri football at its finest. Um, Juve are still adjusting to all the elements of, of Sarri, as you would expect. But there was high pressure in that game. They were stealing balls high up the field. They were forcing into Milan into mistakes. This team is way more accepting of what Sarri wants to do than Chelsea ever were. And because of that, they're probably going to end up not only winning Serie A this season, but I would imagine during Sarri's time at Juventus, they've got a very, very good chance of also winning the Champions League if they take everything on board. Because the man is great and he knows his stuff. The pass from Bentancourt to release Higuain for the Mm. winner is absolutely sumptuous. It it, it, the way he sort of... It's, it's one of those ones we've talked about goals recently. Tadic's pass for Donny van der Beek in the Champions League Brilliant. in particular. It's very similar. Sort of just finding a gap where there has he has absolutely no right to find one. Absolutely. And, and it was, like you say, it's such a flowing move, such a lovely move. And it's lovely to see Sarri back at it and doing what he does best. He just doesn't travel well. It's fine. Italy's his like, playground. Like Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, his season at Chelsea was one long away day and it was rubbish. Yeah. Um, say rubbish. Finished third and won the Europa League. Yeah. It's, uh, it <laughs> I'd take rubbish if yeah. that's wrong. Yeah. It doesn't, it just, yeah, it just didn't come together for him for whatever reason. Um, but back in Italy, back where he feels comfortable, back where he speaks the language a little better as well, just just looks more at ease in his own skin. He genuinely. genuinely does as well. I was thinking that, like, before the game, he's, like, embracing Conte and stuff and they're chatting. He was so laid back and he seemed so comfortable in his surroundings and it was actually really good to see because I genuinely did feel sorry for him by the time of his spell at Chelsea because all anyone was talking about was the fact that he was smoking a lot and he was losing the plot and (laughs) (laughs) it's true I mean he smoked a lot anyway regardless we've talked a lot about Conte and Inter Milan and we're all very excited by that project and Mm. you know we tip them many people tip them as winners this year 
And, and Sarri kind of just absolutely dominated that game. If we're being perfectly honest, Inter got back in things through a somewhat fortunate handball in, in terms of I'm not sure what Matthias Lick was thinking really, but it, it you know it is what it is. He makes and, a mistake every game. But on the whole, finish. on the whole, Juventus absolutely dominated the game and, and seemed to have the majority of all the, the good chances right until the end, at least when Inter maybe should have snatched something back if Lukaku had basically woken up. But... It was, it was a real sort of masterclass against a Conte side that everyone has been like, they're so good, they're so good, they're so good. And Sarah's like, hold up. Yeah, they're okay. They're just the big, they're the big bad wolf, aren't they? Yeah. So people fall in love with the, with the story where, oh, can they knock them off their perch? We know how, like, so many Scudettos in a row, people want something fresh, something new. We talked about it in our Serie A preview episode, and that's what people buy into. And then every now and then, Sarri and Juventus, they just come around and go, can I just remind you of something? We're really good. We're the best. <laughs> Sit down. Absolutely. Right, what's your hot take for us this week, Sam? Well, on Sunday, I went to St. Mary's Stadium to watch Southampton 1, Chelsea 4. And while I was sat in my seat, and while Chelsea were ripping Southampton apart, I formulated a hot take, or maybe it's a hot prediction. It's that Chelsea will supply at least seven of England's World Cup 2022 squad. So basically, more or less one third of the squad will be produced by Chelsea. The Chelsea Academy rather than players that play for Chelsea. I mean, to be honest with you, we're quite close to the idea that it could six current Chelsea players could easily make this squad. Of course, but they might not all be there. They may not. But if you, yeah, opening it back out again further to the Academy, like, I mean, they could do, they could do half the team. So you've got Tammy, Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, Callum Hudson-Odoi and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, fitness permitting, absolute locks, surely. In three years, they'll be even better. Reese James, we've, we've picked as a breakout star for the season for a reason. We think he's great. Fakaro Tomori is looking really, really good. Declan Rice spent eight years at Chelsea and is Mason Mount's best friend. People don't, not, not everyone knows that because he obviously graduated through West Ham's academy at the very end. Ross Barkley might still be around. Carter Gallagher is killing it at, at, at Charlton. Right. Jonathan Panzo was produced by Chelsea, who's at Monaco now on loan at Bruges. Trevo Chalaber, if you want. Like, the list is a long one. But those first four, Abraham, Mount, Hudson-Odoi, Loftus-Cheek, they're going to be brilliant. They either are brilliant already or they're going to be. And you can pick three more easily. This, this, this World Cup 2022 side, will it will have a really heavy Chelsea feel to it. And I feel much more comfortable saying this now now that these players are seeing the light of day and they're yeah, seeing the pathway into the first team because the talent really has never been in question. It's always about the opportunity. In 2019, that has changed for them. And already we're seeing huge steps from players. Like I watched pretty much every game Tammy Abraham played last season at Aston Villa. And the degree to which he has improved in the last two months has astonished me. Yeah, and it's no, coming from someone who watched his every move. Yeah, yeah. I, did not, I, did I didn't not see force, this coming either. Did not foresee it. It's absolutely amazing. And it just makes you start to wonder. But I don't well, think even the rest like, people at Chelsea expected him to do quite this well. Because if you think back like to when they were, he was coming through, Solanke was the one that they were really pinning on being like the kind of one that mm. goes on to the, the best things from that, that Chelsea group that was coming through. I think Tammy was even like moved around and they used to play him wide sometimes just to make sure Solanke could play centrally. He wasn't always a starter in the in the youth sides, particularly yeah, immediately when they were trying to get them all in. And uh, they had Izzy Brown there as well. They had Casey Palmer. They had a load of attacking players, players that they yeah. just couldn't quite fit all in. Yeah. But Solanke was the one. He was the number nine. He did score 40 goals that youth season, to be fair to him. Um, but Tammy's the one that spent time out on loan 
at Bristol City in yeah. the Championship. He was brilliant at Bristol City. He was, uh, yeah. and, and a lot of people sort of don't remember or don't didn't watch this. But I watched a lot of Tammy Abraham that season, and he was absolutely yeah. outrageous. But he was very much just a poacher. Yeah, yeah. That he just was unbelievably but good he's at it. Well, you say nah. that, but there's more. He's, this is what I mean. His game has developed so much already in terms of even just holding it up and, and, and scoring from outside the box and thinking a little bit differently. We've seen such an improvement in such a short space of time yeah. in terms of what he needs to be. I'm not saying be. poacher in a bad sense. It's a no, good no. thing because it's what Chelsea have needed from their number nine for the past few years and haven't had it. You know, he's, he's grabbing the rebounds off keepers. He's getting the little dirty goals around the book, the six-yard books. That he's also just got. much more efficient in front of goal than he was last season yeah. in, the, in the championship, which doesn't stack up. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, well, is he, it, he, is he, he needed, getting better chances with the ball? He needed, I, I would say, Villa were very creative last yeah, season. They were. Play, playing in front of Jack Grealish it makes it quite easy for strikers sometimes and uh, honestly there was a lot of games where Tammy needed three good chances to score one and going into the Premier League I was extrapolating that and thinking he's going to need five Yeah, he's been ridiculously clinical yeah, compared, yeah. To, compared to his usual self yeah, and the other bits have come through as well Okay. anyway that wasn't supposed to be a let's talk about Tammy but Chelsea as a whole this crop is coming through and it's going to be it's going to that England crop is going to be very Chelsea-centric. Yeah, and maybe that's a good thing. You know, when, when a crop comes through from one club, it's often, you know, look at that Spain side that yeah. were basically a La Masia product. And and maybe, I'm you know, it's, it's too much to expect it to be exactly the same as that because that crop were exceptionally good. But on the whole, you know, it's good when people have that rapport because they can then translate from yeah. a club stage onto an international stage. Let's, let's go to the poll. Uh, and the third take, as ever, you voted for us to talk about a Premier League upset. <laughs> Manchester United cannot even win a vote at the moment <laughs> as a whopping 59% oh, no. of you picked Manchester City's loss to Wolves. So I'm going to start this off and this might shock you, but I'm not massively surprised by this result. I wasn't shocked. A lot of messages on Twitter saying that United and Spurs results weren't shocks because they're so bad. But I actually won money this weekend on Wolves uh, because I thought this might happen. City's current injury crisis is hugely under-talked about. It, you know, yeah. People are like, oh, they have a massive squad, they have such quad depth, but losing Laporte, Stones, Sane and KDB is the equivalent of Barcelona missing Piquet, Umtiti, Dembele and Messi. Mm. It is, is that important? On top of that, Bernardo's form's tailed off. Otamendi looks lost without somebody else next to him. It's like he's a different player when he doesn't have one of his sort of stalwart counterparts next to him. And the fullbacks are a continual whirlwind of who's going to be short-term injured next. Yeah. You know, whether Carl Walker is ill or whether Jao Cancelo hurts his ankle in training or, or all of these things. It's, yes, they have great depth. And yes, it's important. And yes, they've spent a lot of money. But ultimately, very little can prepare a side for an injury list as extensive as the one that Man City currently have. Wolves, despite their rough start, are still an exceptionally good football team. Really, really good on the counter. Yeah, And this surprised me very little, if I'm being honest. Well, I mean, it wasn't just the fact they were so good on the counter. It was the way that they kind of pinned City's best forward players back. You had players like Traore, who had kind of kept hold of Sterling at times and just just wouldn't let him do anything. And it it was really impressive the way that he was able to do that. Um, I think that you talk about injuries and stuff. You just cannot underestimate the influence that Kevin De Bruyne has had on this team recently. You look at that Watford game, they scored eight. Um, De Bruyne... Directly involved in six. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you watch that game and then you look at their game from the weekend and the speed of play is just so different and there's no, no dynamism. When you've got Gundogan and David Silva and Rodri in that midfield, you just, you're just missing something and, and it's just that element of... that. 
De Bruyne has of knowing so early on where the ball needs to be and pushing it forward. And those players just don't seem to have it. Obviously, David Silva can do it, but he doesn't seem to do it when he's on the, the pitch at the same time as Gundogan. So, um, I saw an interesting stat about that, actually, where the last eight times that City have dropped points, Gundogan has started in an advanced role ahead of a defensive midfielder. Well, it's a strange one because Pep, Pep loves him. Pep, he does love Pep him. Pep really loves Gundogan and he's a really good player. He's good for a, the occasional midfield goal. Like he, yeah. He's more I, likely to make that impact than David Silva. I don't think but... this is a direct influence on what Gundogan no. brings to the table. I yeah. think it's more that he's probably just too similar to other players to yeah. actually thrive in a system like or, this. Or if he's playing, who's missing is, 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 is the other question. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a bit of a perfect storm because as you say, uh, Wolves are just superb at counter-attacking and Man City are, with that injury list at the back, defensively suspect. They're very suspect. Watching, o- watching Otamendi try and chase Raul Jimenez around on the counter was just ridiculous. It looked like... Bambi on ice. It was ridiculous. Generally, and yeah. with Wolves, I think maybe just they got a little bit fortunate in that because Jota wasn't there, they had to play Catrone and Jimenez, and they just went, right, we'll just run forward then. We wouldn't, but Jota would usually play and link and float off Jimenez. So basically, Catrone just runs the channels. That's what kind of a striker he is. Jimenez did the same. They just pushed it forward over and over and over again and just went 2v2 against Fernandinho, a holding midfielder, and Otamendi, mm. someone who can't control his own feet at the moment, and just went, yeah, I think we could, I think we'll back ourselves to win two or three of these. And lo and behold, at the end, Adam Atriori kind of makes it count with the pace. Like, it was that perfect combination of Wolves have to play a certain way and they're very good at it. Man City can't stop it. Brilliant from Nuno to push Traore into that more advanced role from obviously starting a little bit more withdrawn uh, and and actually get him in there and, and make sure that, that pace counts because at the end of the day, it's that, sub, it's that substitution, that tactical tweak mm. that has allowed Wolves to win this game uh, and actually you know, getting him up there in support of the front men and in support of Jimenez in particular, has just won the game for him. This is absolutely not... frightening, isn't he, with the, with, with the ball running into space. Like absolutely. Previous episodes, speaking to Jolene Lescott, he'd been talking about how do you stop him, and he just went, foul him. It's impossible to well, stop. That's, that, well, if I you keep him that, wide, he's, le- he's, he's less effective because he actually does, his delivery is not that yeah, good. He ends up in the corner. And he ends up in the corner where he gets a bit lost. But through the middle, mm. Traora is absolutely petrifying. They yeah. tried that a little bit last season as well, and it didn't work that well. So maybe it was just one of those things where Nuno was like, right, that's my plan, but I need five more months with him to figure this out because he doesn't take on board instructions that quickly, to be, fair, to be honest with him. But he has eventually grasped this about a year on. And this is quite a frightening wrinkle that Wolves have got. Yeah, absolutely. Right, before we get on to the big ranking, DJ, have you got a melon of the week for Here we us? go. Oh, yeah, I do have a melon of the week. Here it is. <laughs> it's melon of the week. This week's melon of the week is the cantaloupe. Nice. Very nice. Interesting facts about the cantaloupe. It isn't just for eating. It doubles as the perfect hair conditioner during summer months. What? You don't have to do anything. Just... just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you just rub your melon on your head like this. But, I think you um, have to crack it open. I though. think you might have to cut it open and turn it into some, some juice sort of liquid out, form. Yeah. But that 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 pure that's great knowledge. It's just conditioner if you want it to be. Yeah, so fantastic. Give yeah. it a go. That is awesome. Anyway, melon of the week, sponsored by the Cantaloupe, is Watford's Andre Gray. Yeah, fair enough. Watford are <laughs> bottom of the Premier League. They have not won a game all season. Eight minutes into their home tie with Sheffield United. Here it was, the big moment. A goal squeezed everybody's nerves. The ball's squared to Andre Gray. He's five yards from goal. Open goal. Puts it over the bar. 
What a melon. What a melon. That's it. Game ended nil-nil. Watford still looking for their first win of the season. And Andre Gray, by the way, this isn't the first time this season he's missed a good chance. Like, he's not in a good place right now. This wasn't just a good chance. This is a proper sitter. <laughs> it's really bad. I mean, he's got slightly ahead of the ball. Um, but why? still, <laughs> why I don't know why. Yeah, exactly. I don't ball. know because there's, it's such a clear run. The guy's come down the right flank. I can't remember which Watford player it was now, but he goes down the right flank and he squares it. And honestly, it's one of the easiest chances you're ever going to get in the Premier League. And Eddie, Eddie Eddie Eddie. I think it's the, co- it's the context the for this, isn't it? it is, if, if this is, you know, West Ham yeah. and they've won four games. It doesn't matter. It doesn't but matter. But in the context of Watford's co- season. What, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a real, real... I mean, because when you're down there like that, you start to feel like it's all piling up against you pretty quickly. And when those things happen and you're seven, eight games in, you start to just think, oh, here we go. This yeah, is it's it. not going to be, oh, yeah. This is it. Absolutely. I have to say, though, Melon of the Week, we very nearly... Double Meloned? Had a yeah. <laughs> I thought, but I thought you might. Yeah, I mean, Otamendi and Larice were both in there. <laughs> yeah, Larice then hurt himself, so he had Lloris to give him a bit of a pass. Himself, so I felt a bit sorry for him. He did, Otamendi he did do what he did before he got injured, though. Yeah, he just um, did bad, and then Otamendi <laughs> did bad as well. Yeah, uh, the melons of the week are starting to pile up. So Nicholas Otamendi might be the first person at some point. To yeah, but then again, I might just week. have to say think that Larice and Otamendi are just bad footballers, and <laughs> they don't just don't even count anymore. <laughs> wow, now that's quite the statement, right after the break. We're going to be talking false starts. The clubs who have over and underperformed at this stage of the season. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it is time for this week's big rankings. Sam, do you want to lay down the parameters for what we have this week? Sure. So you've alluded to it already, false starts. We're basically calling it overachievers and underachievers into the second international break. So I feel like you've got quite a good gauge on most teams or every team. Yeah. And the table was largely in the right place, except for like one or two obvious outliers that are in clearly the wrong place. So we're just trying to look at those and trying to figure out who is probably in a false position. And over the course of the next three months or so, they'll probably filter back to where they, you would expect they belong. Okay, let's get Um, this off to a start then. But we are, but importantly, you need to consider your expectations for a team. So let's take the example of Man United. They are 12th. You look at that and you think, fair enough. So they're not in this. They're yeah. not underachieving. If you, th- if, th- if, you think, if you think a team is about par for what they're capable of, then they're not in this. And I, I think Man United are overachieving. Okay, well, that, yeah, there you go. So <laughs> that's, that's your example. So these three teams, you have to uh, do it according to your estimations. I've done three good and three bad. Which would you like first? I would like your... Overachievers first, and then we'll do underachievers. So we'll start with the positive. Yeah. Start with a smile on our face. Okay. Uh, Number three is Crystal Palace, who are sixth in the Premier League. Okay. You're not happy? I'm not, no. Um, So, first of all, like you have to pay credit to Palace and you have to give credit to Roy Hodgson. There's a really difficult summer. Lost Aaron Wan-Bissaka, nearly lost Will Sahar, and the relationship between the club and him seemed to become quite tenuous. The signings they made felt quite uninspiring and short-termist. Talking James McCarthy and Gary Cahill, there were a couple of raised eyebrows there, which is fair enough, but they've been their usual ridiculously obstinate selves. Uh, They've gone and procured results and wins from places you would never expect as per usual. So begs the question, why don't we expect it anymore? Um, obviously, Old Trafford being the one. And yeah, yeah, again, you, ha- you have to praise it, but they don't, I don't think talent-wise, they don't stack up for a top, top six position. I don't think that's unfair to say. 
Um, the lack of goals in the team is still going to be a concern over the long run. Jordan Ayew cannot play out of his skin every single week, although Zaha will get better and facilitate this. Um, and they've already got two more points than they should have because of the disallowed goal against Aston Villa, which was a, a refereeing f- farce, basically. So they should already be down to eighth anyway. And eh, that's only one point above tenth. So maybe we start to look. It looks a bit more reasonable there. But Palace go into this international break in sixth place. Off a hot start. I do feel it feels a bit Watford. I watch... A bit Watford from last Roy season. Hodgson produce the most obstinate Fulham team in the entire world and take them to a Europa League final where they only lost to an Atletico Madrid fueled by Aguero. David De Gea, Aguero. Aguero and Diego Forlan. Good team. It was a good team, but it's this Palace team stinks of that Fulham team. It absolutely reeks of it. And I think that Palace are going to be in contention for a European spot at the end of this season. Roy Hodgson appreciation I can't, I can't that. moment, please. I've had one. I did it. Bloke came off the whole England debacle, realised what his strengths were, went back to basics and then moulded exactly the team he did at Fulham in 2010. Do you just keep the script handy? Yep. It's, uh, <laughs> it helps when you set it up for me as well. <laughs> Look, it's built on players who people cast off. It's built on hard work and a few dazzling talents scattered in there and it works. Only City, Liverpool and Arsenal have more points than Crystal Palace in 2019. Roy's man management skills are just second to none. They're like, look at that Zaha situation. You mentioned it there. The way that it, it looked like it was so fractious and we were like, oh, it's going to be a nightmare. He's not going to want to play for the club. Today, Wilf Zaha tweeted out, the male, uh, male sport tweeted that Wilf Zaha is ready to sue his agent over the whole transfer speculation. Wilf Zaha's quote tweeted, be like, do you not just sit there and make stories up about me? You know, I just don't think he's that unhappy. I never for one second thought he'd refuse to play because no. he's Crystal Palace. Like he is their golden boy. Of course. And they've got that working in their favor. But players can play below their level Not when they're 10% unhappy. Of course. But, you know, you look at Gary Cahill, who we were just like, oh, short-term fix. He's been playing great. out of his been, skin. He's been awesome. James McCarthy, who went down injured after nine minutes, and we were all like, oh, no, not again. He's gone again. The last full 90 minutes he played was something like in 2016. Yeah. Until this weekend, where he dropped an absolute world of a performance against West Ham. In and- place of, great stat this, in place of Luka Milivojevic, who was already suspended for an accumulation of five yellow cards. Already <laughs> phenomenal. Phenomenal. I why I wasn't playing. Yeah, he I was, just think he had too many yellows, mate. Too many yellows. You've got like Joel Ward playing Five right back. Seven. These are players that everyone's like, nah, not good enough. And Roy has molded them into a unit that does really, really good things. And I just don't think they'll drop off that much. I think they will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. So where's their, where's their floor? What's their, what's the lowest they can finish? Oh, I mean, they, they could finish anywhere. It's, uh, right, it's right. Of course. <laughs> not that much. <laughs> not going to get relegated. But I, I do think there'll be an error or thereabouts. I, a, a lot of it does work, like you say, on whether Jordan and I, you can keep this up. And if Zaha can get back to the goal-scoring form. You know, but look at like Andros Townsend. Everyone had written him off. And then suddenly he started scoring loads of goals for Palace again. And, and there are goals in this team. You've just got to work out where they're coming from. Yeah, they come from all different angles and exactly. directions, don't they? So, the, so top six... I'm going to rule out. There's there is a spot. There is a there is a spot for grabs in the top six, but there unfortunately is, yeah. for Palace's, it's Leicester's. Yes. So then there's not another one. I don't think there will. The others will sort themselves yeah, out. Well, the top six right now at the moment, Tottenham aren't there at the moment. So yeah, I think Palace they're going to rise seven. again. I think it's Palace. Late, I think yeah. Palace's ceiling is tenth, and okay. I think they'll finish eleventh or twelfth. All right. So, let's so, keep rolling this on then. Okay. Um, 
So next up, in at number two here is Granada. I know you've been waiting to talk about these boys. Uh, who are fourth in La Liga heading into this break. Could have been top. Should could, be top. Could have been top. Just blew it in the first few minutes at the Bernabeu, didn't they? Um, this is kind of whole city. Uh, is it 2008, 2009? Mm. Newly promoted. Giovanni playing as the number 10 up front uh, into the Premier League. It was a ridiculous amalgamation of players that should never have really got to where they were. And they did drop off really harsh after Christmas, which is fair enough. But... This Granada team were promoted into La Liga this season. Um, they don't have an awful lot of, I say, overwhelming like top half level talent. The spine of the team is built from the players that got them promoted from the Segunda. They play in their manager's image, Diego Martinez. He is high energy, high work rate, extremely determined. And he's extracting levels out of these players, which I think are unsustainable. That model is very good for a short term boost. And it gets you enough points. It gets you over the line. But over the long time, it will obviously regress. You've got players like Antonio Puertas, who is just playing out of his skin. I watched him play in the Segunda last year. He is not this good, right? This will stop. You've got Darwin Machis. We need to talk about Darwin Machis. Like, Darwin Machis is unbelievable. He's been like he's been at Granada like two or three times already in his career. Like he yeah, keeps he, he loves comes, coming he, back. He comes he comes in and out. I think he spends a little gap here in Udinese sometimes and then comes back when he feels refreshed. Like uh, Kini Angel Montoro, Herman Sanchez, like these are not top they're not even top half players. They're, they're genuinely not. So Going to enjoy this as much as I can because some of you will know I support Granada thanks to going to one game once. But, <laughs> but it will it will drop off. It will drop off. There's just there's just no chance. But we'll pay them their dues. Yeah, I, I think this is such a nice like fairy tale, and yeah. I've, I've loved every minute of watching it unfold, especially because you've been so excited about it. But I just Darwin Machis. It's just Darwin, Darwin Machis. Like, he's he's unbelievable. Yeah, I can't explain it. I don't know what's going on. I can't explain it. I can't Getafe explain. almost made top four last season, didn't they? Very so. close, yeah. Very, very close. I mean, no one thought they'd be up there and to sustain that, so you never know. Very true. They did it mostly by um, by boring their opponents into submission and fouling them to the point where they couldn't move. Yeah, Granada, that was the thing. Granada play really weird attacking football. Yeah, Granada don't, Bizarre. Granada don't do that. They're much more open, so... Uh, again, you, you probably think it's not going to last. But into number one, and speaking of fairy tale stories... It is Famalisao, or however, I don't know how to... I think that's quite good. It's about right. Um, I struggle with Portuguese. They're first first in the Portuguese league. Um, They were first a month ago as well. They've been first for a while and people have... Everyone obviously looks at that and goes, well, you know, it won't last, it won't last, it won't last. Look, it won't last, okay? It, It will not last, but they're still first. You look at the reasons why it's worked... In very intriguing project, it's a Jorge Mendes pet, so the super agent from Portugal. Had a crazy summer window where they brought in so many bodies, so many free transfers, so many loans. They're loaning players from Valencia, Wolves, Atletico Madrid. It's just all on Mendes' connections. Yeah, this is the whole thing's just based on all of his yeah. players. It's just this is just these are all his clients, all playing for his club, basically. But you've got to set their ceiling at fourth or fifth. This is not gonna this is not gonna last. And you look at the schedule they've had so far, and I think Calling it soft is an understatement. They've played one good team, Sporting, and Bruno Fernandes was suspended for the game. And as we know, they are the basically most, the entire club. Yeah, they are the most one-man team in all of football, thanks to him. And yeah, he weird, hit, weird called Luciano Vietos there. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically, without Fernandes, like then Sporting are not a very good side because they just aren't. So they managed to, they managed to meet Sporting without him, which is very fortunate. First up out of the international break. 
Porto away. The descent begins. It'd be interesting. I, d- I don't mean to sound so glad about that, by the way. Look, <laughs> you really Come do. on! Uh, of course they're overachieving. <laughs> but I wouldn't write this off completely. You know, 2000, 2001, the city of Porto forgot that it was blue, white and dragon and draped itself in the black and white checks of Boa Vista, the last team outside the top three. Another script he has handy. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm just clever. Um... <laughs> Pacos de Ferreira came third in 2013. Yeah, they Braga did. came tw- third in 2012. It would be a miracle. You're absolutely right. Wait, it's, only but, a, it's only a minor miracle. But when miracles are fueled and funded by George Mench's empire, <laughs> they're not so easy to s- dismiss off the bat. Yeah, the because thing, yeah. he has all these connections and, and players are coming in that would never be joining a newly promoted club in the Primera if they weren't for George Mendes. So... It is one of those where you look at it and you think, yeah, maybe, obviously, I think they will drop off. I don't think they're going to win the league. <laughs> but I just, you know, the, the Portuguese league is chaos at the best of times. The, the thing with the Portuguese league is if you put together a well-run and strategized project, the bottom half of that league is so unbelievably poor yes. that you can go from newly promoted to fourth, like, with a bit of strategy. And obviously this team is well prepared for what it's doing because it's run by the people it is. So, yes, working in a favour is that. That's why I'm setting the ceiling at fourth, just not first. I don't know. I just, I've just i watched sporting for, for quite a long time they're, now. Look, they're they're just, just really they're bad. Good, but they're just not very good at football. But if, Bru- if Bruno Fernandes doesn't spend the rest of the game suspended, then he will outgun Fernandes yeah, on his own. Bruno Fernandes could be gone in January. Maybe. He was supposed to be gone this summer. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, ca- I'm there not carrying is anything there. It's just one of those ones. And I do, yeah, I do think that the big three will probably just about have too much for them. But I don't think that, you know, if, if, if Bruno does leave sporting... In, in January, there is an opening in third. In yeah, there are, because they will suddenly look like a very bad team. Like, yes, like the will. team that lost to Famalisao a few weeks well, ago. Well, actually, when Paco de Ferreira came third, yeah. Sporting finished seventh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's important to note that there is just some really, really poor teams occasionally, and, and those big three do drop off. So, yeah. so there's, there's plenty of space to work with in the Portuguese league. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, inter- it's an interesting one. Very much one to keep an eye on. It. It, 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 and it's just quite a cool story that quite a lot of people may not be aware of that you look at the Portuguese table and you just expect to see the big names. And well, this is a big name. It's quite a few letters, but it's not, <laughs> it's not one of the traditional big names. Exactly. Right. Who's in your underachievers then, Sam? Let's uh, right. as well the negatives. So this we? is, yeah, this is where we get, this is where it takes a turn, isn't it? Uh, in at number three, I have Sampdoria, who are 20th in Serie A. Oh, yeah. This is, that is bottom, bottom of the league. <laughs> Good stuff. They have played seven games. They have lost six of them. They do have a win. Fair play. Uh, This is a team who finished ninth last season. And there was a top nine in Italy. And then there was like a bottom 11. There was quite a big points differential between those. It was quite an obvious goal difference drop as well. Because everyone in the top nine had a plus goal difference. And almost everyone in the bottom bottom 11 had a minus one. There there couldn't have been more of a chasm. And somehow Sampdoria have managed to jump to the bottom of the chasm. Yeah, they've jumped off a cliff. I don't. I. I cannot fully explain to you what's happened, but we do have some. Like we do have some reasons. They lost some good players. Dennis Pratt has gone to Leicester. Joachim Anderson has gone to Leon. Um, but you know, Quagliarella still there. Starting goalkeeper still there. Left back still there. Muru, Ekdal, Linetti, Berizetsky, Omar Colley, Gaston Ramirez. I looked at the stats. Of the eleven players that all played. Half of the Serie A games last season started half of the Serie A games or more last season. Eight of the 11 are still there. Now, they have ripped their 
entire spine out. Yeah. Like, when you lose your best centre-back by a mile and your most creative midfielder, this is a problem. They didn't sign well, obviously. Some extenuating circumstances being that the club was for sale over the summer and there was a lot of a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of say. upheaval going on. They've got a new manager. They've sacked him now. Eusebio Di Francesco was removed from his position at Roma and we thought, hey, he bounces back with Sampdoria. This is it. I thought this was where Di Francesco gets his like Sassuolo swagger back. Here, you know, that panache yeah. style that they played with. And I tweeted this yesterday and then I went into the Sampdoria squad and I had a look at it. Yeah. And so last year, obviously, their top scorer, the king, Fabio Quagliarella, 26 goals in yeah. Serie A. And yes, he's aging like a fine Neapolitan wine. But, but at some point, that's going to hit a wall. He's yeah. old. He's quite old. And a lot of those goals were, were put on a plate for him by a very creative midfield duo yeah. of Dennis Pratt and Ricardo Sapinara, who has also He's left. Gone, yeah. He's gone to Genoa. They're, last, they're, by the way, they're in trouble too. Their top uh, assister last year, apart from Quagliarella himself, was uh, Muru, the yeah. left back. Yeah. You can't expect him to produce a season like he did because you know left backs don't produce that many assists unless they're Andy Robertson. Uh, and on top of that, they lost, you know, they lost Anderson to Leon, as you said, but they also lost one of his two partners. They had two partners, Omar Colley, who stood at the club, but also Tonelli, who re- returned to Napoli, and Jacobo Salah, who played sort of right back, all right mm-hmm. defensive midfield. He's gone to Spal. And on top of all that, Gregoire Defrel, who was Defrel. their second top scorer and played a lot off the bench and, and was that kind of other option when, when things weren't necessarily going their way. He's left as well. He still had 25 starts. Like he was, he was a major part of Their second team. top scorer got a couple of assists as well. They've lost a lot of creative depth at mm. Samp. And it, it, now if I was looking at that as a Samp fan, I'm going, oh, we haven't replaced a lot of that. And a lot of this is still on Quagliarella who at some point is going to, his form is going to drop off. I'm not saying that is now. I'm not saying that right no, I now. I think it's a, service issue. it's a service issue. It's a playing style issue and it's a formation issue. First of all, it's, it's, it comes down to the manager who they have now. Yes, well, yesterday they got, they got rid of him. I mean, their last manager was Marco Giampaolo, who has been sacked by Milan or he's about to be sacked by Milan as well as we record. So it's not really going well for anyone, is it really? I don't know where Samp go from here. And, and yes, I think they're underachieving in terms of they should be higher than this. Well, they can't, can't be 20th. But I also am worried for them as relegation candidates. Well, now I am. I look at that, look <laughs> at that squad. Well, now I am. I look at that squad as, as a whole and I go, I don't think there's enough creativity, depth or goals in that squad to stay up. Well, I think it can be quite easy to watch a, a, a team lose you know, that many games to start with, get themselves into a bit of a hole and wonder how will you get out of it. But from a fresh perspective in the summer, like this, this should never have been on the cards. It Maybe. absolutely should not. You rip out your spine, you always put yourself in trouble. I do have them third. So obviously I've got a couple of teams that I'm more concerned about here, which is an acknowledgement of the fact that they've been awful, um, but the expectations were tempered by what happened over the summer, as, as you quite rightly say. Okay, let's move it on. Um, in at number two, Manchester City. Okay. So they're second in the table. Sounds pretty good. At best, that's one spot away from where you thought they'd be. Maybe yeah. zero. But eight points off Liverpool already. Yeah. That's the, that's the issue. Is that, is that, am I right in thinking that's the biggest gap? And it was, at no point was it more than seven last year. It could have been 10 if they'd have lost to them when they played. Yeah, I, but I think, it, I think right. it, only, right. it only ever got to seven. So we've already got to eight. The more concerning thing is if you look at the team underneath them at the table, they're one point ahead of Arsenal. Yeah. Widely regarded to have had a really strange and not very good season. Mm. So that's where we are with City. I honestly thought City would walk the league this year. 
I thought they were going to be. I thought they were going to win the league and by a much more comfortable margin than than, than they did last season. So what do I know? Anyway, a really good stat here because I don't want to go too heavy into the Wolves thing because we've already talked about them. A really good stat here that has emerged. City have conceded 10 shots in the league this season that have an XG value, an expected goals value of 0.4 or greater. They conceded 11 in the entire season last season. So 0.4 XG shot is like basically a one-on-one or a very clear-cut chance. For uh, Most places have a penalty at 0.7, 0.75, and that's because penalties are typically converted Pretty to 75%. So that, that, in another way of saying that, is a 40% chance on goal, which is a hell of a chance. Look at the Adama Traore shots, the one-on-ones through on goal. They're conceding them in spades. Yeah, this is an offensive issue. Yeah, it's it's... It's bad. It's bad. Laporte's absence, we talked about. Rodri, I think he's doing okay. But the central defensive partnership right now is a former melon of the week and somebody who ages at triple the speed of everybody else. (laughs) This is a massive concern. Now, what gets better? Pep adjusts. Pep will always adjust. Yeah, of course. They will get there. The, I imagine the, some the, of those uh, young La Masia centre-backs are having a little, hey, it's my go. It's my go. La Masia centre-backs. Hi. Do they not have two? Uh, Eric Garcia, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just they, they play for City now. I just got no, confused. of course, but through the older, <laughs> yeah, through the academy. Um, so they've got like, they've got the problems that Wolves obviously showed them up, in, but in a way that Crystal Palace did last season. City do City have these blips? They have these problems. No one expected it to come this early. You don't really ever expect them to do anything other than win at home. Pep will adjust. The injuries will abate. We've already spoken about those, so it will happen. But right now, Man City. If you'd have told Man City fans that going into the second international break, you'd be one point ahead of Arsenal, they would not have believed you. And I wouldn't either. Like, no, this, is, no. this is crazy. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I do still think that the season will end up better than this for them. I don't believe that Liverpool can continue this form. Well, they won't win every single they game. They can't win play. every game in the season. And they will suffer injuries too. So, you know, once that sets in, City are going to make up ground. I don't know if they can make up all of this ground. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know either. That's the thing. Like, at title predictions right now, I would... I'd back Liverpool right I'd now. I'd back Liverpool now, With yeah. Laporte out until the new year, I struggle to see it. Yeah, I, I think they, they're in real trouble defensively and, and who knows how they get out of this. I, I'm interested to see what Pep does next, basically, because I don't think there's too much we can predict as to how he's going to get himself out of this crisis. Mm. Um, but I'm sure he will. <laughs> if he didn't sure win anything this season, do you think Pep would leave? Didn't he just sign a new deal? Yeah, I think he yeah, just signed Does that matter? No, it doesn't really okay. matter. Um, no. I don't think he would. I th- he feels. I don't think he'd leave he, on a low. He was only ever a three three year man, and he's bu- yeah. he's bucking the trend with Man City. It'd be interesting. Yeah, who's in at number one then, Sam? Everton. Okay. Mm. Everton are eighteenth in the Premier League. They are. Yeah. They they've been really really didn't see this coming. Really bad. Um, I was excited about these as well. It's oh, a shame. Yeah, Rock exactly. Silver turned out to be a fraud, didn't I, it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't know. Like. It depends on the person where you had Everton finishing in the table this season when you were projecting at the start of the summer, at start, sorry, start of the season. But very few people, I reckon, would have had them dropping out of the top half. Yeah, I mean, it is important to note that 18th in the Premier League is only, what, three, four points off, off 10th. That is, that is true. The, but the anger being directed at, at Marco Silva right now from the Everton fans stems from, I think it's more than the, 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 the necessary, the, as we call the false position in the table, because it will improve. It's the predictability of the yeah. style of the shape that doesn't suit all of the players uh, it's the lack of movement off the ball it's the fact that he almost never starts Iwobi or Keane or both like 
so much of the hype that was built around Everton this summer was based on the fact that they signed a Wobie Keane and Jean-Philippe Gabamon. Gabamon's been injured. Yeah. Moise Keane's not allowed to play and Iwobi plays every now and then. It's like, so the, very expe- odd. the expectations are set based on the players that you have at your disposal and then you don't play any of the, you don't play the ones that have built that hype and that's what, this is, this is how this happens. This is how anger is facilitated. Yeah, of course. Because Dean, how long does Marco Silva have? What, I mean, not can long. we see him replaced in this international break or is he going to get another go? I think he'll be replaced now in this break, no, but I reckon from what I've been told, Everton are starting to like look around now like, that they're really ambitious. If you think of some of the names that were like linked in the past in terms of signings, whenever it's transfer windows now, Everton get linked with ridiculous players. They do. It's because Mashiri just has this ability to dream as high as he possibly can, basically. And so I think that I know that he's he's thinking like, could we get Mourinho? Should we just ask Mourinho just in case he fancies it? Mourinho's not going to fancy that. But then no. I'm told, well, Eric Ten Hag. Would he fancy it? That's the kind of route I'm hearing they might be going down next. I don't think Ten Hag should go anywhere near that job. If I'd... you are Eric Ten Hag, you wait for Barcelona. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he will, but like yeah. that's what GK I'm told. Setien's kicking about. Well, yeah, he should be waiting for Barca too. But like, okay, sorry, we're distracting from the point. Like, <laughs> But if they're dreaming that kind of big, then that's an important thing to, to show that you know they're not going to sit around and wait for another don't manager to take them around. I don't think they're just going to sit around and, and just fight and then give it to an ex-player or something on, <laughs> in the back of all of this. Um Mashiri is, I quite like the way he usually goes about things at Everton and I think that his track record of terms of the people he's brought into the club hasn't been too bad. I think it just depends who's making the decisions further up as well because I think Brand is the one that they've done. Brands. Well, he's, he's director of football, isn't he? So yeah. he's, he's very, very involved here and he's part of the reason they produced, they procured so many good players. Exactly. Brand is the most, for me, the most important figure at a time like this as to what happens next. Because it's one thing Mashuri dreaming big, but Brand is the one that's going to have to actually get these people over the line. And I think, I think they do want to give. Look, they paid a lot of money to get <laughs> Silver into the club. They did. Um, they thought this was going to be their long term answer, and they thought they were on something fantastic, and it hasn't worked out so far. So this, they're sticking with it because they're still hopeful it'll turn around. But um, it is that like, turn around. He could, yeah, he could do himself a lot of favors here by starting. Keane and Awobi in the same game. Um, and Gabamin when he's back. And when he's back. I think he would start him they're, otherwise. They're, they're, this, this they t- really miss Idrissa Ganeke, don't they? They do, basically. yeah. And then Gabamin was supposed to be his replacement and we've seen so like, little yeah, of him he's because been he's been injured. They're, they're minus Idrissa Gay and Kurt Zuma, basically, from last season, more or less. Yeah. Which was a really good team with great flying fullbacks. They scored plenty of goals. The thing is, that Everton have always, for the even under, it predates Marco Silva, they are so bad away from home. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what goes on in that dressing room before an away game, but they seem to freak themselves out of performing on a, in, on away days, and they're so fragile. Yeah. So when you add to that pre-existing issue, which has been a thing for over a year, to the fact that now actually the formation and the style isn't great, the fans are on their back, the players that they want to see playing aren't working. It's all it's all coming down on Marco Silva right now, and I do think I he could do himself some favors. He could do he could he could he could show a little bit of flexibility and humility here and maybe save himself a job. Okay, fair enough. Well, thank you very much for that, boys. Wait. Shout out Real Betis. Oh, shout out Real Betis. Unbelievably underperforming. Yeah. It is sad. It bo- is sad. Bo- bottom quarter of the La Liga table. Um That's right, it's going to sort itself out. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. And also shout out Leon. Just just uh just, just sack their manager. Just sack their manager. Everyone's sucking their manager nowadays. Um just fired uh Silvino, 14th in La Liga, worst uh, in the Liga. worst return 
for the first nine games in, in, in several decades. And just lost the derby. And just lost the derby. Really not To good. a newly appointed manager to in Club Well. Yeah. Indeed, of all yeah. the people we could lose it to. Right. Hearts is mad. We've had fun, though. We've yeah. had fun. That was good. We'll be back after the break with Bleacher Roulette and the Nonsense Rankings. Stay with Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. It is time for our roulette wheel. Sam, give her a spin. Here we go. What is the best stadium food? Well, just like in general or in a particular stadium? I think it's like generally like What's you go, kind of you, you you go to. Um, what would, I don't really eat at stadiums. No, I do. Yeah, this is a Dean question. Yeah, go on. Yeah. I do like to try the pies. Well, yeah, fair enough. I do like to do that. That's, is that an English thing more than anything? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Wigan, really good pies at Wigan away. Yeah, of course own. there are. It's just really, really good yeah. pies. What's your favourite pie? Uh, steak and kidney. Same, yeah. yeah. People get really weirded out by steak and kidney pie, but I love them. Yeah, it's me fine. too. I'm a big fun. fan. Uh, for a, well, when Reading was sponsored heavily by Waitrose and they sold Waitrose food in their in their stadium, which is, for a record, a very upmarket British supermarket, they had Waitrose pies and they used to do a chicken tikka one, which was absolutely sensational, to be fair. Uh, but I'm more of a steak, uh, steak and kidney steak and ale guy myself. Fulham get a really good uh, review for their cottage pie. Classic. Uh, which is they good, do. obviously, from Craven Cottage. Yep. Uh, it comes highly recommended. So if you're ever at the cottage... Have you eaten at sure Tottenham's new stadium yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Goodness me. They've got like a hot, they've got all like separate mm. restaurants and stuff like that. And there's a there's a, a fried chicken bit there towards the south stand, which that is sound actually good. really good. Actually, you know what? I give the Majeski Reading Stadium a lot of stick um, because it's in the middle of nowhere in a supermarket car park. It's in, unbelievably in, difficult to get to. Yeah, it's basically a, made out of connects and <laughs> it's a really bad stadium and everything about it is rubbish. But Jeez. outside of it, there is a jerk chicken stool, oh, yeah. and it is unbelievable. Oh yeah, I saw that. It's really, 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 yeah. really good. So okay. give them props for that. Yeah, They're Tottenham and Reading coming All out. All right, Dean, I'm going to spin for you. Should Barcelona retire the number ten jersey when Messi retires? Um, that's from Jay Solo on Instagram. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, that's really tough. I don't know. You don't know. No, you, <laughs> you can't retire the number ten shirt. Well, well, Napoli have done it. No, not at Barcelona. You can't. You can't retire the number ten shirt. Like you just don't give it to anyone for a long time. Yeah, I think that's it's, it. How long? I don't know. Until there's someone that's actually deserving of wearing that shirt. Not like how the number seven shirt at Man United now has got no meaning whatsoever. Um, you just literally have to wait until I don't know ten seasons time when Fatty is like proved he actually is the real deal and actually deserves that shirt. And then or he gets a shirt like that. crumbles under the pressure. Yeah, because that's the thing. People are going to crumble in the number 10 shirt. No one will probably even want that shirt. No, it's it's a big, big pressure. I mean, look, Roma haven't retired the 10 after Francesco Totti yeah. retired. And I think that if anyone was going to retire it, it should have been Roma. I'm yeah. not really into retiring shirts. But also, Totti himself said that he wanted kids to grow up dreaming of... He was like, I grew up dreaming of wearing the number 10 shirt for Roma. Yeah. I want kids to do the same, which I think is a really nice way of looking at it. I do like the idea of retiring them. Yeah. I think but... a, sh- a short-term retirement is, is usually the answer. Like, as long as it's... Yeah. Like, like Aston Villa retired Stillian Petrol's number... Yeah, after no, he had to retire due to leukemia for a short period of time and then they brought it back after a year or two. I think there's also something about if you retire a shirt outside the top the 11, I'm kind of okay That's with that. Same, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a big you, difference there. Yeah, if you retire the 23 shirt or whatever, yeah, then they're kind of fine. No one dreams but, of wearing a 23 shirt anyway. But if you retire one of the 1 to 11, I have a real kind of struggle with that. I know West Ham have it for Bobby Moore and, and there are a couple of others, yeah. but... 
on the whole, I kind of struggle with the idea of retiring a 1 to 11 shirt. Yeah, it's too integral, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, all right. So we're settled. So it's a no, but but a short-term retirement. But two, yeah, two seasons. Short-term break. Well, yeah. just until... I think until someone claims until someone it. someone deserves it. Yeah. Just don't give it to Griezmann. Liverpool and Chelsea both... Don't give it to yeah. Griezmann. Liverpool and Chelsea both gave the eight shirts after Gerrard and Lampard quite quickly to, like, new players... To mm. Naby Keita and Ross Barkley, respectively. And I was a bit like, nah, wait for, should have waited for Mason Mount to come through, prove himself yeah, through seasons, and one. then give him the eight yeah, in a couple of years. And you're like, okay, they're, they're, therefore you've got something. So yeah. maybe that. And right, look at that, those, those two players riddled with injuries. There you go. It's the, the world, curse. that's the universe speaking. All right, so it's our first ever question of the BR app. So yesterday, oh, wow. the app dropped the first roulette wheel. There's a little wheel on the app. You can spin it and all sorts. Um, and we got some new questions. So from Samoyo, he says, which Premier League teams do you, me and Sam represent most? Which Premier League teams are we most like in our demeanour and acting? Is this not which a, is a fantastic This is a question. nonsense ranking. It also is a nonsense um, ranking. But thank you, Samoyo. That's a good question. I, I think Dean's, Dean's an Everton. You know, just like a, a stalwart. You know, under, sometimes underachieving. underachieving at the moment. He's only getting one podcast a week. But um, <laughs> on the whole, you know, he's a stalwart at the Premier League, ever, stalwart of the present. scene and ever present. He's been here for a long time. Um, and therefore, that, that's how I would describe Dean. I think I'm West Ham. Good at some things, really bad at others. Never quite, got it, never quite got it all together. Not at one stage. I think, I think Jack might be Leicester. Why? It's like, he's no like one Bre- expected he's, too he's much of him. He's quite a lot like Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> no one expected too much of him, but he's come along. <laughs> he's come a long put, way. Put together a package, off he goes, and he's doing much better than everybody expected. <laughs> Maybe. I, I'd say more Norwich. Deeply flawed, but very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> That is the nonsense siren. I love Sam, it, siren. it is your time of the week again. Cool. To shine. Okay. I am 29 years of age. And at the weekend, I built a fort in my lounge to watch football. You did. It was all over Twitter. So if you have not seen it, have a look on my Twitter. I didn't understand why you wouldn't just sit on the sofa. but Well, I've done that for the last eight months. Like, got more comfortable than sitting on the floor? Well, we'll get to that. We've got to change it up a bit. Scroll back to my, my profile on Saturday on Twitter and you'll see my fort. It was a good fort. It was it was amazing. Yeah, it was uh, structurally, great. I think it would pass government tests. Absolutely <laughs> sensational build. Uh, and what an experience it was. Football in a fort. So I'm going to give you three reasons why you should consider building a fort to watch football in this weekend. Excellent. Go for it. At number three, forts are very comfortable. Throw as many cushions and pillows in as you can and any blankets that you don't use to construct the roof and canopy. I'll tell you now, there is no more comfortable way of watching a football game than in a fort. And I can tell you because I've actually watched a football game in a hot tub and this was better. It was drier as well. You will get more joy watching football from a fort than on a sofa because you've built it and you've earned it. And you get more joy than stood in a bar. It depends. Number Number two, forts are very warm. Okay. Heat gathers in forts. My fort got very warm very quickly. Too warm? Is that good? <laughs> well, as we head into the winter months, if you're unhappy with your energy supplier and you can't find a good deal out there on the market, just build a fort, trap the heat, and watch football in it. No problems. And at number one, forts are very safe. Not only do they protect you from obvious physical dangers and apex predators, but they can protect you emotionally as well. So what I found was, if you're settling in to watch your team play football in a fort, you're nervous, you're scared, you're dreading it. There's lots of fans in that position right now. Build a fort, because 
Nothing else matters when you're in a fort. If your team concedes, sure, you're sad. But then you remember, I'm in a fort. <laughs> and everything's all right again. How long did you spend in your fort? A whole day. How many games, How did, many you games did you watch? So my fort saw, I watched Brighton 3, Tottenham 0. Norwich won Aston Villa Aaron 5. Aaron Connolly naming, naming himself as the best player in the world. Yeah. That was cool. Uh, the best player my fort's ever seen, for sure. Uh, Norwich won Villa 5. Um, and then West Ham won Palace 2. And then the chaos in Genoa versus AC Milan. That was full chaos. So it, 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 saw, four full it saw all four of those games. And I'm not saying it was all my fort. But like... Would that have happened without it? If that was a play on all my fault, I'm taking it. That is, that's an exceptionally good word. Play. I just have one tip to yes. anyone that builds Please. their forts. Well, first of all, send me the pictures yeah. of when you build your fort uh, this weekend. But don't leave it unattended near pets. Because Sunday morning, when I walked downstairs, I found that my cats had caved the roof in because they'd been playing on top of it. Oh, that is annoying. It was very... Uh, I'm just uh, trying to count up how many goals you saw in your fort. So three in the Brighton game. Yeah. Six, six in the Villa games. That's nine. Three more. Three more. Twelve. And then there was three in the it, Genoa. It was 2-1 to Milan, wasn't it? Yeah. So therefore, 15 goals in four games. Yeah. That's almost four goals a game in your fort. And red cards. <laughs> and red cards. <laughs> the Genoa-Milan game was full of them. Yeah, well... It did have, yeah, a lot of red cards. Yeah. Yeah, fair play. That's... um. Well, if, if all forts produce these kind of near four-game scorelines, yeah. then I think we'll all be, uh, we'll we'll all be building. Yeah. We'll be building because there is nothing better than goals. And there is nothing better than go- for goals than international breaks. Hey, and, there we go. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are done here on this week's BR Football Ranks. All that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tai. Thank you. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. Please do go and vote for us in the FSF Awards. We're out for best podcast. We'd very much appreciate your votes. And make sure you've downloaded the BR app for the best sports and culture content. Please keep sharing the pod. Please keep telling your mates. Please keep giving us reviews and that on iTunes. It really does help us to grow. And we'll see you next week, Rank Squad. Big love.